Happy New Year and welcome to the Enduring Churches podcast. Here we are, Trent and Alan, in 2022, and we are so grateful uh, to be able to turn the calendar with you and to come be with you today. And, you know, we're going to start our year off um, with, with change. been a lot of college football, a lot of college football bowl games and, and things, things like that. And so um, I, I like to sit down and and watch football as we're recording this. I was watching the the Wyoming Kent State game yesterday, and that thing was just back and forth. And I didn't know any of the players, but I had a great time watching it. So um, anyway, you got us to thinking about measurements and how we measure things. So Trent, talk to us a little bit about what we want to talk about today. Yeah, you're right. Uh, have you ever run the chains on the sideline for football games? No. Oh man. Yeah, I did that a lot in, when our son was in high school and stuff. Yeah, measurements are, are a big deal. You know, it comes down to little bits. But, you know, outside of sports, um, there's a lot of temptation in the church world for us to um, measure things. And and I, I think that's good. There are some things we do need to measure. But um, so today we want to talk about the scorecard, the scoreboard of of churches and you know because pastors we get together and we talk about hey how's your church doing well and and uh, there are some certain things that we always talk about but uh, I think that there needs to be some changes in the things that we measure Alan as, as especially as we head into 2022 this is an appropriate time for us to look at what we actually measure what means the most um, and as we look at our church is it is it growing? Is it declining? Uh, it's a big deal. So I think this is an important topic for us today. Yeah, because you know what we're in a weird time. You know, I was reading an article yesterday, Trent, about um, how millennials are flocking to smaller churches when they want to find a church, and the whole reason for that has to do with intimacy. You know, mm-hmm. we we can go through times where people prefer a large church for this, and people for a small church for that. And the truth is, there's probably a place for both large and small churches. Um, it's just that that dynamic's probably not going to change anytime soon. So if we only measure success based on the large church, and yet people prefer the small church for growing closer to Christ in some ways, are we missing it and vice versa? So it's apparently got to be more than just measuring you know, attendance and size of buildings and, and all of those things. I think you like to say it, nickels and noses. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. And, I, you know, as we think about large versus small, um, that yes, there is. It does seem like you're right that there is a movement toward the small church. But I will tell you, um, and I read the same article that Alan did, and one of the things it said in there I think it was really important is that they won't substitute um intimacy for quality. Um, and that is really, really important. Um, you can't just say, well, we're a small church, so they'll understand. No, they're not going to. They're going to expect um, great stuff and, and done well, you know, and so uh, keep that in mind. But but yeah, nickels and noses, that was the old phrase, you know, from the 50s that you know, we're supposed to count those things in. And I will say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You, you still need to count and understand how those things are trending. Um, but there's got to be a whole lot more, doesn't there, Alan? 
Yeah, those those are those are surface issues, but they they only touch the surface. Um, they can certainly point to potentially a, um, a lack of health, but there could be other reasons uh, for some of those things. And so um, they're they're the most superficial measurements we can make. There are things that we can do that measure us um, that that go deeper. And the first thing, Trent, if we're going to talk about what it really means, we have to know what what the end result is that we want to measure. And the only command we're really given as far as the role of us and the church in the world around us is to make disciples. And that's that's where everything begins. And so the question is, how how do we know and how how do we measure discipleship? And so that's really the beginning place uh, for this conversation. You know, if you start making your measurements and then say, oh, well, did this produce discipleship? You, you started at the wrong, wrong place. So start with the discipleship side of it. Yeah. And today, as we talk through this, Alan and I want to share with you a couple of books that we have, are familiar with and some things that we've learned. Um, Alan, I, I know that you had mentioned that there is a book that you really enjoyed and got a lot out of. What was that one? Yeah, it was kind of one of those game changer books for me. It was uh, came out, boy, I read it like over 10 years ago, but it was um, Reggie McNeil's Missional Re Renaissance. And the tagline on that was changing the scorecard for the church. And so when this topic first came, came up, um, I, was, I was like, oh, I've got a book on that. And I remember um, being moved by that. In my doctoral work, we often called uh, Reggie McNeil edgy Reggie. Um, but the, the further we've gone along, I think the more he was much more prophetic with some of these things and, and maybe ahead of the curve a little bit. But there's some things in there that make great sense. We'll share some of those thoughts a, a little bit later. What about you? Yeah. Um, and so we want you to be able to find these resources too from um, Richard Neal. Um, Alan and I both got to listen to a gentleman by the name of Jared Wilson. Um, he speak, spoke at a conference that we were at, and then I heard him recently, and he talked about this, but he has a book called Gospel Driven Ministry. Uh, he also has another book called The Gospel Driven Church. Um, and so, yeah, I would encourage you to check into those. But he was, as he was sharing with us at our state um, director of missions convention, that um, he was sharing with us some things from uh, Jonathan Edwards that he had um, researched and found out and um, was a, his one of his writings called Distinguishing Marks. And so a lot of the things that we're going to talk about are from all three of these resources today. And so I want you to know that these are not necessarily ours. We're going to add to it with our own thoughts, but we want you to know that there are some great resources out there to take a look at. Yeah, so let's let's start with um, Jonathan Edwards because I think he talked a lot, you know, um, about discipleship. And so, Trent, you you were really moved by by these five marks that that identify really what what a disciple is. So, would you share with us those five, and then we'll go through and just talk about them briefly? Okay. Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, I would throw in there's three things that we would say are big things that he would say may or may not be big things. Um, he talks about a steady accumulation of decisions that might be, but if there's no discipleship, which Alan mentioned, uh, it's not. Uh, large attendance in the church, it may be. Emotional experience at a church, maybe, a, you know, you might be able to 
say that that's a positive thing for, and thing to measure for your church. But then after that, there's the five things that Alan mentioned, a growing esteem of Jesus Christ, a discernible sense of repentance, a dogged devotion to the word of God, an interest in theology and doctrine, and an evident love for God and neighbor. And so um, those are the, the main things that Jonathan Edwards put together in his um, writing, Distinguishing Marks. So Alan, let's, let's talk through that a little bit. Um, as we think about those five and, and even the things that may or may not be, um, what are your thoughts about those? Well, you know, I, I remember some of my early, early voices in my head uh, regarding ministry, always make much of Jesus. And mm -hmm. some of the best advice I ever got. And that's, I think that's true. And that's where it begins to have a growing esteem of Christ. Um, are we there to promote our agenda? Are we there um, to, to promote Christ? And, you know, we need to keep Jesus central. You know, there's been so much written about the centrality of the cross, the centrality of Jesus. And whenever we move away from that, we are in big trouble. And so that's 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 our role as as church leaders is to keep Jesus near. That's that's the number one step to enduring, by the way, is yes. to make much of Jesus. So I think mm -hmm. that that one's clear. What do you think about um uh, the repentance side of things, because you, you and I both ministered in places where that's not a popular subject. Well, you're right. Um, there's people don't want to um, talk about repentance because then they start throwing in judgment and, you know, in that equation as well. But I think this is a big deal. You know, we, we spend so much time and effort propping up people's self-esteem when that goes really against what we need to have in order to experience the greatness and the holiness of God. Um, and so I, I always told my churches that, um, you know, let's not, let's not build up our self-esteem. Let's build up our God esteem. Let's, let's build up our, our recognizing how great he is. And then that will help us to understand that we, we do need to repent we do need to change. Um, God is holy and we are not. God is God and we are not. Um, I, I think those are huge. Yeah, that, that's so true. You know, I know one of the frustrations I had when we first uh, became church planters and moved from the Bible Belt to outside the Bible Belt, um, going to churches and never hearing anyone talk about repentance. And, and that was a that that was concerning. But, you know, um, we think about that, and, and that happens because people drift from the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches. And, you know, we have got to be devoted to, to the Word of God. Mm. Yeah, and so that's the third point there, a dogged devotion to the Word of God. Um, this is really important. You know, do, does the church study the Word of God, or do they just throw in a, a verse here or there? about, you know, that fits with the point that the pastor wanted to make. Um, you know, it, it, it has to be central, central to what your church is doing um, in your preaching. Are you going through, you know, passages? Are you, and I, I cover points, you know, I, there'll be some things that'll happen in the, the area that I think, hey, we need to talk about this. But overall, we need to spend time in God's word, you know, and we need to explain what God's word is. And so we should be devoted to that. Uh, I think that's an important thing. Yeah. You know, I, uh, 
think you can sometimes measure a church in some ways too by you know are people bringing their bible are they engaging with god's word and sometimes that's on their phone sometimes it's in print but are people truly engaging in the word with you and, and or just counting on you for everything um regarding the word and if they're just counting on on the pastor that's probably not healthy that's not 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 a mark of true discipleship so we want to make sure that people have that interest um and that interest will gr grow into the technical areas of theology and doctrine yeah well and so we should know what we believe uh, i heard someone tell me one time years ago that um asked me if our church was filled with baby birds and uh, he started talking about that you know a lot of churches the folks even the folks that have been Christians for a long time, they get used to just living on the regurgitation of the pastor, of the mama bird, you know, and uh, it's kind of a gross example, but, but it's still, you know, it's important to realize that, hey, you should be studying God's word for yourself and you should be learning about theology. You should be learning about doctrine. Those are not just big words that bore you as soon as you say them. Yeah, what you'll find out if that's taking place, people are asking questions about those things. People are wanting wanting to to know how they would study those things or, or learn about those things. And so it becomes something relevant um, to their lives. And then, uh, you know, probably the, one of the, the biggest marks is how does that bear fruit? What's the evidence uh, that we love God and we love our neighbor as, as ourselves? What are the what are the things that we see that that are taking place? You know, we would we would tell you that the most dangerous thing a church can be is internally focused. That we only care on who's already in, and we don't have a focus on who's at, who's not in. And yet, the Bible always teaches us to have a, a an outsider perspective. Who are we looking for? Those who are outside, and so so maintaining that evidence is, is critical in all of this. Yeah. Alan, if we, uh, you know, if we just get to where we're looking at, you know, hey, is this making it convenient for us? Is the temperature right for us? Is the pews comfortable for us? You know, instead of, you know, hey, what are we doing to, to tell the people outside? Because that was Jesus' command to go and make disciples, not to sit and invite people in. We have to go as well. And, you know, I... And I think that, that that comes from an overflow of what's happening in our hearts, right? Um, and so that will that will overflow as an evident love for our communities. And you know, Trent, I think some of those things, you know, as we think about think about some of these things, we give a hard time um, to to certain things in our in our past cultures. Um, I don't know about you, but when I first started going to church, there were all these all these little offering envelopes. And it had all these check boxes you could check off. Are you present? <laughs> Gee, how do I answer that? Um, you know, did you did did you bring your Bible? Did you bring your 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 tithes and offerings? You know, um, did you invite anyone? It had all these little check boxes you could could check off. I think the heart behind that was: Are you giving credence um, to the Word of God? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you being obedient? You know, I think there was a good heart um, behind all of those things. And in fact, in some ways, maybe made us healthier just by thinking through those. But what happens is, is over time, they just became checkboxes. 
and and we lost we lost the why and every now and then we have to go back and say why is this important and, and why do we do that because those measurements if taken seriously would actually give you much more insight than just the mere matter of presence um in, into what's going on in in your church but obviously check boxes alone don't don't do it so how do we now expand um this scorecard um, to think about going beyond just the, the measurements of people and, and finances and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and the Reggie McNeil book, um, he talks about a question, you know, is it the measurement of, is this helping people grow? Um, in our churches, I used to tell people this, we're trying to help people grow at least one step closer to God. And, um, you know, so that should be a way for you to measure your your meeting, the things that you do and your worship services, um, your themes for the year, your events that you stick in there. Are those things helping people grow closer to God? Uh, and so we kind of want to um, give you some questions for you to ask of, about your church um, that uh, I, th I think are really good questions, uh, important questions. And, and as we do this, Alan, um, you and I both have been pastors of small churches. We've, we have um, we currently work with small churches, and we want you to know if you're a pastor of a small church, this is not just about um, becoming huge, right? This is, you know, you can be fruitful, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and not be a huge church, a mega church. Absolutely. I, I really think that I really think there's there's only a certain place in the world for a certain number of megachurches. Yeah, every church doesn't need to be, and every church shouldn't be a megachurch, but every church should be healthy. And that's what we, we long for. We, we want to see healthy churches, and we can measure health. Some churches intentionally want to stay small, um, and they want to launch be launching points for, for other ministries. And I, I applaud churches um, who, who, who are like that. But... We have to begin changing how how we think about things, and so you know, um, look at people you've baptized. Are they still growing? You know, in their faith two years later, five years later, ten years later. You know, are is, can you see that they're they're still engaged? You know, I, I can tell you, I grew up in a in a church that one time led the Southern Baptist Convention in baptisms one year. And we were really proud of that, and we hung our hat on that. The crazy thing is, is that our attendance didn't really change. Hmm. Um, and that, that's, that always bothered me. And I think what happened is we got, we got a lot of people who, who got wet but didn't get transformed, you know, and, and we, weren't, we weren't measuring the discipleship output as well as we were just the number of baptisms. And so it's important to measure is discipleship taking place. Yeah, I, I'm glad that um, you kind of mentioned the, the time frames because I think that churches that are really looking at this and measuring this well will take a long-term view. Um, you know, you have the parable of the soils that, that Jesus told, and, and there are going to be a whole lot of people that maybe come to an event that you have, an evangelism event, and they may walk an aisle and even be baptized. Yeah, but is there is there continued 
growth, is their continued heart change um, and service to God. So I, I think that's a great, great point. Um, another one of those is um, how many of our people are actually being trained to disciple other people? So when, and I, and I will tell you, Alan, I believe that discipleship starts before salvation. Um, it has to. And, and then so when somebody comes to the point of trusting Jesus with their life, does that continue on so that they're prepared to disciple someone else? Yeah, we, we need to have an idea. Is there someone else in your church besides you that you've equipped to equip someone? And that's, that's an important measurement. Who, who else can, can do this besides me? So just think about that from the health standpoint of, of your church. You know, um, is, is that taking place? Can, can that take place? And so me- measure that, uh, how, how many people are trained and equipped to, to train others. And that begins, oftentimes, it starts in small group stuff. And so if you kind of want to measure that, then go back and, and look at the percentage of people who, who are involved in, in small groups in your church. Yeah, I will say one good thing about the church growth era was an early emphasis in its early stages was its emphasis on our on Sunday school. And I know a lot of churches have moved to small group ministries and homes and this and that. But it wasn't it wasn't uncommon in those days for healthy churches to have more people in their small group ministry than they actually had in their worship service. And I think that's when those churches were at their healthiest was when their small groups were at their most vibrant. Yeah. Oh, man. That's, you know, Sunday school began as the outreach and evangelism uh, arm of the church. And there are some churches, I think, that are recapturing that vision. Uh, I was just talking to a pastor yesterday that, man, he is he's passionate. They're restarting their Sunday school and they're not calling it Sunday school. They're calling them grow groups. But, um, you know, to be able to use that as an outreach thing. But then also it, it gives some life on lifetime to be able to work on that discipleship and give people the opportunity to learn how to be discipled and to disciple others. So I, I, that's a that's a great metric to look at in your, in your small groups. Yeah, the, another thing, Trent, when we're thinking about how do we measure things, and this is a great question, is how many of our people can articulate the gospel clearly? Um, Trent, I'm so grateful you put that note in there. And I was thinking about a, a time when um, my wife was teaching um, a co- collegiate class, and she asked all the students in her class to, to, um, to just share what the gospel is. And it was very telling um, to to read the responses of uh, of these students ab- about about their faith and about their level of faith. And it, it it taught me it taught me a lot. Don't make assumptions. So how many people how many people know what's happened to them so they can tell someone else how it can happen oh, yeah. to them? Oh, I was challenged to. Um, asked that same question, Alan, to my church and uh, to one of my churches. And so I gave every single person a three by five card and I just told them to answer the question, what is the gospel? And I will tell you, I went home depressed after reading that because, and I had read a study that went along with that, that, that very few of our people 
can present the gospel. Very few. And so this is an area that should be really important. We should give them tools. I'm working on a study for um, some of my pastors that I like tools for Christmas, you know. And um, so I, I'm trying to encourage them to give their people in their church tools to share the gospel. Um, you know, we can, we can be harping on it all the time, but if we don't ever give them the tools, they can't do it. And so uh, this is a big deal. So they should be able to articulate the gospel clearly. And then that, that fifth point, Alan, um, what's, what percentage of our folks are serving in the community? Not just in our church, but outside the church and into the community. Yeah, let's pause. Let's pause on this one for just a little bit, Trent, because I think this is multifaceted. Um, I think it it goes into a lot of areas. You know, are people out serving in our community? What what are people doing to serve in the? Or maybe it's tutor, tutoring students um, after school. You know, maybe it's helping at the at the local food pantry. Um, maybe it's getting involved in whatever way they can in in their kids' schools or this or this or that. How are you unleashing your people to actually do ministry with a purpose? And it doesn't always have to be a ministry that's that's big and bold and says this is a ministry of so-and-so church, but it engages your people in the community. And that that is essential. And Trent, I'm going to read a quote. Well, I was just really moved by this one. Um, again, I read this in 2009, and in um, 2012, I began coaching cross-country um, and track at my high school. But it says this, it, Reggie McNeil said this, he says, make time that staff and leaders spend in the community, including relationships with community leaders as part of their performance measurements. Avoid the commonly held view that time spent in the community and ministry is an extracurricular activity. If that view prevails, it will ensure that community needs will be minimized compared to the other pressing needs of the church organization. The externally focused missional congregation has a very different view of community engagement. It is central, not a sideline. And I just, I just, you know, that was one of the things that opened the door that when I went to my leadership team and said, hey, I, I'd kind of like to do this. What are your thoughts? And they said, man, that's, that's exactly what you've been talking about. You've been looking for that avenue and that place. And they, they said, go for it. And, you know, all those things worked together for that. So those, 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 that time I spent was, was making a difference. And, and that's what it, where it begins. So can, you can measure not only the percentage of people, you could measure the number of hours that your people are serving um, in the community as well. Yeah, and, and be a cheerleader for that. When you find out that somebody in your church has started um, subbing at school or helping tutor someone or helping with a, some ministry, boy, just cheer them up, pat them on the back, make it a big deal from the pulpit, um, because that is huge. When somebody, It's a risky thing, right, to go and, and to do those things, but it's all about starting relationships so that you have the opportunity to um, to be able to tell them about the gospel. And so you go back to the previous point of, can you share the gospel, you know? So I think that's so important, Alan. This is very important. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about um, the, the last question we want to ask of these 
What's the reputation of the church in the community? What are your thoughts on that, Trent? I think that's a can be a hard question, you know. <laughs> um, hopefully, your church has a great reputation, and if you're doing the things we just talked about in the previous point, that will go a long ways to in, increase the reputation to make it a positive thing in your community. But I remember, I think it was you, Alan, that mentioned to me. You gave me a question years ago that if uh, if our church closed its doors, would anybody in the community recognize that it was gone? And I, man, that always stuck with me. And so I don't know if it was you, but I'm giving you credit, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's probably one of those questions we we've, we've talked through. You know, churches have one of three reputations. You have a good reputation you have a bad reputation or probably the well just as tragic as a bad reputation is to have no reputation yeah yeah you know i've i've heard uh, people who do church consultations like we do talk about going to convenience stores right next to a church and say tell me about that church over there oh, i don't know anything about them. i didn't even know there was a church there you know oh, how how sad how sad that is when when you're not thought of at all it just means it's a good indication that you have an internal internally minded internally focused church and so we want to be careful um with our reputation you know a good name is to be cherished and that's true for a church as well you want to have a good name yeah yeah well and just like it is with individuals Scripture says a good name is to be more valued that, than gold. I think that's we need that for our church as well. Yeah, Trent. So I wanted just to throw out a couple of questions um, or a couple of ideas for people um, that came from from Reggie McNeil, you know, out out of his book, and this is in a chapter where he just goes from measuring programs to helping people grow. You know, so he says, you know, number of people serving as prayer partners for community leaders, um, number of specific people being prayed for both inside and outside the church, the number of hours your people are spending in prayer. You know, those are all just, just prayer ones. Um, you mentioned this and the number of people engaged in coaching or, or, or mentoring. Um, the number of leaders who have developed and are pursuing in, in, an intentional learning agenda. Do you have people who are going on to be in ministry or think, things things like that? You know, percentage of time in, in corporate gatherings, celebrating stories of faith. Are we letting people share the stories of what God is doing? You know, um, there's just all kinds of things that, that go along. Questions for your facilities. How many days a week is your building available to your community, things like that. Oh, that's so good. And I'm really glad that you mentioned, mentioned prayer because, um, you know, if you go back and you study the, the great revivals, you will see that every single one of them began with concentrated times of prayer. Um, it needs to be God-empowered, God-moved, God-led. And, and so the things that your church does if it's going to be something that lasts, something that really does help people, it will be led by the Holy Spirit, and we will be seeking God and his leadership in that. Yeah, so there's a lot of things, Trent, 
a lot of things when we begin to pray and say, God, show us. Yeah, I think he does begin to show us those things. You know, my my story was how do we get more externally focused? And, you know, I had read through this book and God opened the doors for me to get more involved in the community in a way that was impactful both for me and and for some for some others. And I think the same can be true um, in, in all of our churches. But I do do believe it begins with a with a heart of prayer. And I am so encouraged to see so many of our pastors just feeling an urge and a call to pray over their communities and pray for what's going on. And I would call on all of us to make 2022 a year of great prayer and to spend a lot of time in concerted prayer. Well, Trent, I pray that everyone out there who listens, I hope that they have a wonderful and successful and meaningful 2022. Um, they may have some questions. They may want to add add to our thoughts on the scorecard or maybe tell us some of the things that they're measuring so how would they do that well the some of the best ways would be to email us you can do that alan at enduringchurches.consulting uh, or trent at enduringchurches.consulting um, you can always find us on facebook at enduring churches and you can also um, go to enduringchurches.com so um i think those are you know we want to have a, a conversation about this. And, and Alan, I just want to uh, remind people about the resources, the things that we took some of this stuff from. Again, um, you mentioned Reggie McNeil's book. What was the title of that one? That's Missional Renaissance, and it's changing the scorecard for the church. And so that was a 2009 publication. Okay. And then um, Jared Wilson has a, a book called The Gospel Driven Ministry. And uh, he pointed us toward uh, Jonathan Edwards' work. Um, and so we want you to know about that. That is uh, Distinguishing Marks is the writing that Jonathan Edwards had. So this is important stuff. We want to encourage you. You're doing. We want you to know you're doing a good job and let's be aiming at the gospel. That's right. Discipleship matters. That's what we're called to do. Go, go and make disciples. And- We know you're going to do a great job of that this coming year because you are filled with the spirit and power of the one who makes the true disciples. So anyway, we want to thank you for taking time to join us on the Enduring Churches podcast. We are so glad to be back in a brand new year with you. And please share this with someone else. Um, Let them know that we're here to help you and your church endure.